You're listening to Music Tectonics. Hey, welcome back to Music Tectonics. I'm Dimitri Vitsa, your host. I'm the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that works in music and technology. And you're listening to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of all sorts of things. Tristra Nier Jaeger, our writer strategist, is with us. What's up, Tristra? Hey, how are you doing? Who else is here? We have Jade. What's up? Jade Boy, our new business manager at Rock, Paper, Scissors. And we're going beneath the surface looking for the seismic shifts, how innovation and technology is changing everything, every minute, every second in the music industry. And welcome back to one of our world famous with over one <laughs> listener, uh, news roundup <laughs> where award-winning homemade hand-painted news roundups where we get to basically dissect Trister's brain about everything going on in the news and comment on it. Right, Jade? That's right. And it's oddly pleasant. It doesn't sound that way, but it, yeah. Well, we'll see. That's for you to judge and us <laughs> to never find out. Oh, our data. What's going on with our data? Nobody's listening. It must be those news roundups. So, Tristra, you pulled out some great articles for us this week. Um, amazing piece by Jem Oswad and Shirley Halperin at Variety titled, Apple is the real winner in Spotify's battle against songwriters' rate hike. Yes, there has been a war of words underway, which uh, I'm sure a lot of people who are following the industry news are aware of, between Spotify and Apple. And Spotify kind of dove into this morass by uh, protesting the um, CPB's uh, rate hike, proposed rate hikes for songwriters. Um, a lot of songwriters weighed in and said, hey, don't sue about this. This makes you look horrible and this is really annoying and I thought you loved us and what is your problem? And Apple also dove in and said, well, we actually really like songwriters and we don't, we're don't. we not suing and they were not suing. Did Apple, um, did Apple issue a statement or were they just They silent? did issue a, a statement, which was uh, rather unusual for Apple. I mean, looking at their past approach to uh, PR, uh, they prefer to keep quiet and just sort of let their products and services, et cetera, speak for themselves. Um, but this time they came out and really had something to say and Spotify fired back and uh, the songwriter, various songwriter bodies got involved. And now this week it just keeps on going. It's like sort of, um, uh, I don't know, Snowball. music music business PR Wimbledon. So we can watch them uh -huh. just go back and forth. Unfortunately, um, Spotify, uh, and I think Jem and Shirley make the argument very um, compellingly that Spotify is coming out looking a little bit crappy from this PR battle. So yeah, um, people are upset. Yeah, it is. You know, they were walking a thin line to begin with, and they may have just, you know, they were good at really for years towing it. Now they kind of have stumbled over it in a way that is really upsetting for a lot of people who care about the fate of artists and songwriters and other creative people in the business. So uh, just if anyone missed it, uh, the Copyright Royalty Board made a decision to raise the rate paid to songwriters by 44% over the next five years. So Spotify, along with Amazon, Google, and SiriusXM slash Pandora, have uh, issued an appeal at the last minute for that decision. So who knows what will happen with that. Um, and I, it's troubling for me because I don't, I don't want to take sides with anybody <laughs> because like Spotify has basically taken the hit to lose a lot of money. Obviously the individuals are getting paid and they have beautiful offices and, and Variety Magazine talks about some of their ways of spending money. Um, I've never been there, so I can't comment on it. But um, on paper, they've they've lost a lot of money to create this market, which is a very a heavy lift. But at the same time, 
similar to other platforms that have done well for themselves, uh, are relying on creativity and creation by creators, artists, composers. Um, and, uh, it, you know, you, it's just hard to know, like, how could this, how could this have played out differently? Those platforms probably wouldn't have grown to their size without leaning so heavily on songwriters and artists, but all at the same time, that doesn't help the songwriters and artists. Well, it's an interesting, it, it is definitely an interesting dilemma. And in some ways, Spotify is a child of our times. I mean, they really are, uh, sort of of the breed of the unicorn, right? A money losing a billion dollar valuation holding company that is focusing super aggressively on growth and focusing very hard on um, user experience. And the content issues have been kind of these afterthoughts. I mean, obviously Spotify got licenses unlike you know SoundCloud or other other people who've, who've attempted some similar things. So not to, um, I'm not calling them out in some first being sort of legally sketchy, but um, they're, they are, and they, you know, to, to grow, you need capital and they've gained, they've grown, you know, then they've had to go public to, um, make the capital providers happy. And so they're caught in this kind of bind of how, you know, the, of the sort of the, the unicorn startup world where you are forced to grow really aggressively. Um, and you have to try to go public as soon as possible. And, you know, maybe that doesn't lead to the soundest business decisions. I mean, you have this, there's a notion that you have to retain talent by having lavish offices and pay packages, et cetera. It's a weird culture that they're dealing with. Um, now, on the other side, the music industry is trying to sort of rise from these, these ashes, and Spotify has been a huge uh, driving force behind that. Um, I, I don't know what else, you know, in some ways, I think it's great that uh, people are being more vocal uh, from the songwriting and creative side because there there has been kind of an attitude of like well it all just sucks and no one's making any money you're just gonna have to take what you can get and people are coming forward to me like we're not gonna do that we have value we have a uh, valuable service products uh, set of ideas intellectual property that that deserves to be treated with respect and and um, there needs to be a fairer market for what we're doing so th I think these tensions are ones that are all over the place in tech um, any place that touches, you know, where tech and sort of uh, intellectual property collide. So, well, in our inter our last episode with Rasty Turek from Pex, kind of emphasized how this is playing out on the video side of things with with YouTube and other video providers too, or hosters. Um, uh, and uh, it's interesting. That, I mean, you know, the approach there was very different. They're put it up first and deal with the consequences later, and really relying on this whole user generated. Uh, side of how music got exposed and grew there um, is all of these things are changing like we're transforming what the kind of commercial exchange is around creative rights yeah and there's some interesting shifts that folks like um, uh, Taishi Fukuyama from uh, Amadeus Code has has brought up um, when we've talked to him about his ideas and he really sees value um, coming not from the production process so having access to an elite studio with a lot of highly uh, you know really expensive equipment that your average person can't afford and can't even use um, to a more user or listener or fan um, based valuation so we're going to be valuing culture based on how the audience receives it which has always kind of been an element but um uh, the the technique and production methods and the investment required to execute 
a work of art or a recorded piece of music has uh, kind of outweighed the input of the actual audience. So now we're shifting more to the audience side. The audience is getting more power. And that's why you have some of these like short form apps and other places where music is suddenly getting a lot of momentum and people are, you know, careers are being forged there because the audience is really engaged and cares. And that engagement has become a mark of value where production is less important. CJ, I told you this would be interesting. I'm interested. I mean, I've been, <laughs> yeah, I think it's really my my big thing on Spotify that, that that's interesting is that they're the only one of the big streaming services that is only a streaming service. I mean, Amazon, that's Apple, mm-hmm. that's, that's not their core business. That's so I think that's something to mull. And that played out. And man, we've got a lot more articles to go through here. But um, that played out with you know Apple, iTunes, and what kind of control they had in the market before Spotify came along and YouTube came along. Um, there is something to be said for making sure that there's balance in who the players are that are going to lead to the financial benefit of the music industry as a whole. Because if you have a single player, you don't have a lot of power to yeah. negotiate with them. But if there's multiple options, then there, you know, you do you do have a little more flexibility, and the marketplace can play out a little better when you have that. But if somebody owns an ecosystem. And maybe they don't need to value something as much because they're selling other services or products, then that kind of rebalances too. So the question is, can an independent streaming service that doesn't make money in other ways by keeping you in an ecosystem be financially sustainable over the long term? Yeah, that's, a, the, that's I guess, what Spotify is trying to prove. Right, we'll find yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. So this did uh, um, this did kind of have a bit of a snowball effect. Uh, Trista, you pulled out this Music Business Worldwide article uh, called Judy Gerson, UMPG stands with songwriters fighting Spotify CRB appeals. So, uh, of course, it's a pylon, right? When the songwriters get a little traction, the publishers are going to say, oh, yeah, you should pay us all more. Yeah, which it was, makes sense. I was just, again, impressed that um, the, these major label, these big publishers were coming out so vocally. And I mean, obviously, it's in their interest. It's not a huge surprise per se, but the rhetoric is shifting. And so that's why I thought that piece was particularly inter- interesting um, that we're really, you know, we're, I think we're getting, you know, it's a war of words, but those wars can get pretty heated. And we're looking at a, an escalation of in terms of intensity between songwriters and services like Spotify. And you um, you pulled out Tim Ingham, the editor of Music Business Worldwide, is now writing for Rolling Stone, and, and he did a piece there called Streaming Platforms Are Keeping More Money From Artists Than Ever, parentheses, and Paying Them More Too. And you had some takeaways from that one as well. Yeah, it's interesting. Tim is um, amazing. He's got a really uh, vibrant, uh, incisive voice. He's not afraid to get in there and, and look at some reports and try to mess around with the data and see what's going on. And so what he did was he took uh, um, a set of uh, statistics from the, from BPI and from um, another British body, the Recorded Music Association. Oh, sorry, actually from uh, from an American body, the Recorded Music Association of America. But he's looking mostly at the UK, and he noticed that the quote-unquote wholesale uh, rates that uh, Spotify, so that would be basically what Spotify is paying for music, um, the gap between the wholesale and the retail, meaning what consumers pay to use Spotify, has um, increased. So Spotify is slowly but surely nudging its margin um, and getting a, getting it a little bit bigger, and that's been kind of the thorn in its side. Um, in, in that the fixed licensing costs have been um, so ex- su- such a large portion of revenue, no matter what they do, uh, that the hearing about this margin shift is really interesting. And um, you know, it, it's only going to add to the, <laughs> I think, to the intensity of this 
uh, the tensions between songwriters, um, you know, recording rights holders and services like Spotify. So while that's all going down with Spotify, TikTok's been in the news on multiple fronts as well. Yeah, TikTok is all of a sudden everywhere. Um, and they are trying to renegotiate their licensing deals with the majors. Now that it's become an international phenomenon and has so many, you know, whatever billions of a billion downloads, something like that. Like just, that's pulling. I'm pulling that out of my mind, so that might be horribly incorrect. Out of her mind. <laughs> it, it's, it's somewhere. It's somewhere to billion. There's a billion in there somewhere. Um, so that because they have so many worldwide users and have really moved outside of their initial market, they are working now with the record labels to try to get a, a licensing deal. Now, licensing deals in China were often much um, much better for the apps and platforms than um, your traditional one in, in other markets. Um, but the labels are kind of done with that and they are trying to push back with um, TikTok who's kind of pulling a YouTube. They're trying to say, well, this is a user gener- you know, user-generated content site. It's really short form. It's not really like the other music services. We're different. You know, what about exposure? Exposure. You know, and that exposure is kind of like a, um, it's sort of a, a music industry dog whistle. Like if you want to get people really mad <laughs> in a licensing negotiation, say the E word, um, because it's become kind of a, uh, uh, one of those those third rails that really you just don't want to go there. But um, TikTok went there, um, and I, I think they're trying to uh, continue their expansion. Um, they've got a they did a deal with a bunch of Wall Street banks to get a big loan in the billions, and uh, they just um, announced. Um, we saw this in the South China Morning Post that ByteDance is planning a quote unquote Spotify like music streaming app. And this will be outside of China. So this is a, I don't know if that was brought up in the licensing negotiations and why they've been so rocky because of that. But um, it's a complicated situation to be in. I would not want to be the person trying to get this deal done on uh, at ByteDance. It's not that they that, that person has a particularly hard job being like, well, there's this TikTok thing that we want to pay this amount for. And then we have a streaming service. There's a lot going on. Um, I looked it up on Search Engine Journal uh, earlier this year. It was reported that TikTok reached the 1 billion download mark across Android and iOS, um, being downloaded more times than Instagram last year. Nice. Ooh, and at the same time, um, ByteDance's or TikTok has lost about $2 billion in 2018. Also a unicorn. They're taking the, see unicorns, unicorns, they may, they poop rainbows and money. Right. You know, so they, they lose money pretty rapidly. Um, you can rapidly. read more about the record label and TikTok uh, dilemma discussion in the article titled Record Labels Demand More Money for Songs on TikTok App by Lucas Shaw on Bloomberg, Bloomberg.com. But at the same time, we've seen um, Old Old Town Road. It's my jam. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, has has is now is now really crediting TikTok for for breaking uh, breaking into certain billboard charts yeah. <laughs> and then getting <laughs> off the media. Guaranteed. I mean, we so I work with uh, a group of artists and we've we've been in talks with TikTok and are to have the licensing agreement from them to upload music directly to TikTok and they're not paying anyone yeah. for that stuff. So he definitely whenever whenever Lil Nas X um, uploaded his song to TikTok originally. It was for free, and he basically—I mean, he's—he's he's pretty smart to to leverage the service and get the publicity from it, yeah. And then do do the remixes and stuff. You know, he's really making the most out of this out of this hit. Yeah, he's awesome. he's clearly he's clearly really 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 smart. Um, yeah. And I love how the video was basically like um, 
was a was the western video it was a western video game that he turned into a music video what is that red dot red dead redemption okay yeah you it can, is everyone that. can laugh is at that me. the real video or is that a fan video because i've seen that video yeah I, i'm not I sure heard that they're the official videos in the works that's really yeah the if it's a fan video or if it's just an initial kind of like rough and ready video i was like that is a brilliant move like relating this to a video game that a lot of people it sort of takes the whole it also takes a step away from is this hip-hop you know what is the race issue uh, is this country like he he did such a great job navigating that those really really you know complicated rapids that you i mean huge props this is somebody really has and musically has i felt like he did as well yeah I mean, like it's you fun know, stuff it's, it's a good track it, it was it was right in the middle i mean you you can say it's not country music, but you can hear why country yeah. radio would want to play it. I yeah. mean, we're in Bloomington, Indiana. There's a lot of big trucks, pickup trucks here. <laughs> and I <laughs> I have seen them being played in, you know, the song being played in those pickup trucks. So, yeah, there's a lot of similarity between pop country and, um, you know, top 40 style hip hop where everything from those snap tracks to like the way voices are produced to all sorts of different different production techniques and so you know something makes a lot of sense something that intrigues me about this and uh by the way we were we were reading a piece on buzzfeed news that kind of talks a little bit about this as a as a meme and a banger quote unquote um <laughs> it is <laughs> and um one of the things that intrigues me is how when a new platform starts to get its traction the way TikTok is how it's a moment for discovery of artists that sometimes everyone comes in and saturates it at some point and so then it doesn't feel like you're always getting the freshest mm -hmm. new discoveries um and I'm always intrigued to think could there be a platform that maintains that real not just sense of discovery because you're still discovering new music but whose music are you discovering mm -hmm. you know the ability for somebody to come out of nowhere versus somebody that has a team in place so-called gatekeepers in place that puts you in front of people that take over the playlist promotion take over the radio promotion take over the blogs all, all that kind of stuff yeah this is it'd be it's interesting to compare old town road to somebody like billy eilish who clearly has a team mm -hmm. and clearly has a budget and has a lot of stuff that's been, I mean, there's also just a, people connect to her music and I'm not belittling her as a, as an artist, but uh, those two different approaches, it's kind of interesting how both can work, but the, you really to, to um, take over the, the legacy media and that does include blogs and certain online outlets. Um, you need to have huge budget and, and, you know, expertise, whereas somebody um, can go onto a TikTok and just kind of have, what it takes to surface and it just a interesting set of circumstances or just a, something about his talents and, and abilities that, uh, you know, were perfect for that platform at that moment. Um, whereas like what's going on on snap did snap, I mean, snap had a snap now is, is kind of falling in popularity. So that's the report. So there's interesting, you know, and, and not a lot of music came out of snap per se, but, um, there was a moment where there were a lot, a lot of interesting, fresh sort of voices coming out of, of that app. So it's interesting. Well, and this, I mean, the, I think this is a cool moment in, in the music space because um, if you are innovative, as in innovative in your marketing thinking and audience building thinking, you can um, do things that, um, that couldn't be done before and you can ride a wave in this way and hop on something. And, and if, you, if, if you can figure out how to create some relevance the way um, Lil Nas did here. Uh, you can 
reach new audiences and grow much more rapidly without necessarily having a, a huge team. And that's what I love about the new, this whole like meme music that's happening. I'm, I'm all about it because it seems like, uh, you know, this, the, the, the goal of the artist now is to get visibility. That is the art in itself is being visible. And so that's just a cool, it's, it's cool. It's cool to think about. The persona artist as opposed to what, what is your medium? You know, your medium is persona, yeah. not um, music or visual expression or, or whatever. Or somewhere on the spectrum of the two, too. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you can have artists that break just because their music's so great and people, um, yeah. people it just, people re- like it, the music. It, it hits some other way, yeah. maybe not on purpose. And people just love the creation of the art. Or people who are more on the persona side, and they, <laughs> and, yeah. and it's not about the music; it's about the meme or something. And yeah. and then you can be right in the middle and have both. So but I just I just think there's this, there's this thing that happens with really innovative people where in the for the time they are the trendsetter and they're able to identify what's going on. Like would like for example, would Kurt Cobain make the music he made today, or what 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 kind of music would Kurt Cobain make today? I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, what would a like 50 or 60 year old Kurt Cobain be like? But anyway, oh, wait, that, I don't think that was <laughs> probably be, probably cool. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe maybe some of his best songwriting was yet to come. We don't know. Um, what is the grunge of today is really what you're saying, and I don't know that we know quite yet. Yeah, you know. So. Yeah. So in other news from <laughs> TubeFilter.com, very different news. YouTube exec Ben Rells, named head of innovation, will lead platforms push in it into interactive content by James Loke Hale published on April 9th. What's going on here, Trish? (laughs) (laughs) So this was the article where you looked at it and said, why did you put this in here? (laughs) Um, The reason I included this was because there's something, this is, we're looking at the beginning of um, a little rumble in the music business, um, I believe, and that is with interactive content. And this isn't to be confused with like immersive or, you know, AR, VR stuff, which is also interactive. This is nor, nor to be confused with interactive versus non-interactive streaming services, right? Exactly. Or maybe it's extra interactive. It's yeah, extra, <laughs> mega interactive, um, extreme interaction. On music tectonics. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So the the interesting thing is that YouTube YouTube is launching a whole little department, little sub set of 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 folks who are going to be working on interactive video and that is something along the lines of netflix uh, netflix black mirror bandersnatch um, it's really yeah, hard to say bandersnatch bandersnatch this is a fun word I don't yeah know what that but means. um so in if you're not familiar with that it was uh, basically a choose your own adventure and you could decide at, there were various decision points where you could change the story and the way and go the direction you wanted and the reason this is interesting from um, a music industry perspective is what is an essential part of storytelling and video? It's music and sound. So are each of these interactive branches going to have their own soundtrack? If so, that's a really awesome thing to think about in terms of sync opportunities. How is that going to affect licensing? How's that going to affect the um, you know market for sync? Is it suddenly going to be like, well, you're on this branch that's probably a lot of people aren't going to take and because <laughs> it involves, you know, I don't know, awesome ocelots and people don't like ocelots but your your songs there so here's five bucks you know how is that going to work so um i'm i'm really really interested to see how this develops and kind of wanted to put this on people's radars as as a thing um that they may want to uh just mull over you know well i mean it shows like you know from another creative industry kind of shows 
how technology is going to shift what's actually created and, and might bring up some ideas for how musicians can also think about what what might the future medium look like that is an interactive medium as well just without without thinking in terms of soundtracks but or sync but just in terms of music and interaction how i mean you know we see it with some music engagement on twitch obviously and having gamers and musicians collaborating for live streams um so also could you have a choose your own I mean, it, it wouldn't be an album per se, but like you're doing a concept piece, right? It's a whole set of songs and you get to choose the, you choose the sequence and choose it can be- Choose your own drop or choose, yeah. choose the mood. Yeah, do you want to have a- Well, a, and yeah. actually we've seen some of these virtual instrument companies where they're taking the parts of a, a, a hit song and saying, all right, let's put it, now let's put those stems into the hand of the fans yeah. and see what they create. But maybe that could be a more much more in the moment, real time thing where you have- you know, set pieces, and then you can decide. Like, do you want to have? Do you want to go up in energy, or do you want to have a more moody thing? Or did this relationship totally crash Fail. and burn? Or <laughs> are is it now the best thing on the face of the earth? Like, so you could have really. I mean, imagine if you could like change the you know the wall, right? Pink Floyd's the wall. Like, okay, no, instead of it being just like this horrible descent into like worse and worse sort of psychological collapse and and um, fascism, you could have. Well, maybe there's some other options. Well, I don't to know. Me, this is this <laughs> is a restart, so it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. To me, this is a continuation of this path where creativity is getting opened up to the audience, where the where the the listeners become active in the creative process. And the value of an artwork of the artwork goes more immediately into the hands of the person of the receiver of that artwork, who becomes co-creator. Speaking of creativity, <laughs> Billboard had a piece by Helen Donahue titled Colonel Sin, KFC's Ultra DJ Performance Was a Dystopian Nightmare and a Warning for Brands Everywhere. Brands beware. You're not making memes cool. This was an amazing piece. Um, I have never seen such a long um, takedown of a native advertising attempt. Um, it was very, and it was very salient. It had a lot of good points. It had a lot of quotes from other artists like, um, Dead Mouse and Marshmallow, who really objected to the Colonel's use of the ginormous head <laughs> as part of a DJ set performance, um, which was, I, you know, kind of funny. It's too bad because they're gonna make giant heads into something ridiculous now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this was serious art before people. Don't you get it? I still think um, if they would have launched uh, chicken strips. And into the audience, maybe would have had a different. <laughs> I think they should have, they, if they had only deep fried their beats a little bit more. Um, yeah. yeah. So this was a, a pretty uh, biting analysis of what of how not to do a brand activation as part of a festival. And honestly, I think people really like. Um, I think people like to have their branded content kind of separated from what they've paid hundreds of dollars to see. So if they want, if they've paid, if they, if they've bought a ticket to a certain experience, they may or may not want a brand invading it in a, in, in, in that inescapable of a way, like being on a main stage or something like that, or being this, you know, part, a huge spectacle. Um, so that's maybe something to think about that a subtle, less, maybe a, less, maybe actually more when it mm. comes to these kind of activations, if we're talking about a music festival context. Well, still in the brand category from Fast Company, we read inside the secretive long-term collaboration between Sonos and Ikea. <laughs> Ikea's new Symphonisk line developed with Sonos is three years in the making. Here's why it took so long to come to market by Mark Wilson. Yes, it's from, it was a, a fun, 
look into how these two companies came together and how they collaborated. I, I you know, it's just is more. Um, this is one of those like business business stories that you read for kind of like fun. It's like the style section equivalent of <laughs> um, the business press. Uh, so it's you know, you kind of just read about people's ideas and how they had meetings and how they ended up making a speaker lamp. Um, which, you know, hopefully will last a little bit longer than your average Ikea lamp. Um, but that said, it's a cool, uh, a cool moment in looking at how, uh, you know, maybe not necessarily the internet of things, but the technological, uh, uh, weaving together of physical and digital, um, will have an impact on our everyday lives and sort of music as lifestyle, right? This is basically baking music into your interior design. Um, it's making music and uh, a built-in part of your space, so it's it's a really kind of a an interesting an interesting moment. And I'm wondering what other what other cool things. Well, I mean there there are there are a lot of interesting products out there that are speakers that do other things like display words or create artwork or things like that. So I'm wondering how as as things evolve, what kind of technologies are going to be woven into our everyday life and and so that music and the experience of maybe a visual experience. Well, how will those things be sort of part of what we just do? If they put subwoofers in a couch, I'll buy it. <laughs> that sounds kind of fun. Doesn't except it? for, except for, can you imagine like some video games or, or shows? Like all of a sudden, you get that bass response. You're like, ah! I just <laughs> jumped out of my seat. <laughs> That's what would happen. That's the bass. Um, <laughs> dropped a boot. Well, I'm also interested in this move towards ambient technology. So we went from having computers in our pockets to having them on our wrists, having them on our heads and our glasses. And then they dissolve into the walls. And they dissolve into the lamps and the walls. <laughs> and I mean, you know, there's some creepy aspects to it, but there's also some seamless aspects to it as well, where you don't have to pull something out of your pocket or open an app or whatever it just starts to feel like things are happening for you you can just yell at your bookshelf and all of a sudden there's that feral song you wanted to hear <laughs> that's the law of attraction i think actually how that works <laughs> just kidding <laughs> so, interesting so um though speaking of yelling this that that story just made me think of ron burgundy um <laughs> anyway um Yes. Meanwhile, uh, while we're getting excited about all these innovations or possibly watching these interesting battles in the marketplace, Quartz pointed out that music streaming has a far worse carbon footprint than the heyday of records and CDs, which is so hard to Bummer. imagine. But Server farms are energy hogs, so it's kind of... They're, they're not even mining Bitcoin. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, I'm wondering, like, what... So Amazon, for instance, has their all of their cloud services, like 50% of their energy needs are covered by renewable energy. Um, maybe that is going to start to become a consumer demand that, hey, you know, what's your... Where's your where's your farm? Like how is it how is it run? Like do you have renewable energy? Um, you know, if Amazon can commit to it, maybe other providers will as well. Um, I don't know who runs Spotify servers off the top of my head, but mm. um, maybe they need some more wind farms. Yeah. So the clock is ticking on this planet whether it's gonna whether it's gonna last forever and <laughs> it definitely won't last what forever. What playlist <laughs> is what playlist goes with that? That's right, Armageddon playlist. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and yeah, which which algorithms w are sensing your body as you think about climate change and what music you should listen to to either continue to fight for a better planet or to just ignore it. Chill out. <laughs> Chill out and yell at your lamp. So many seismic shifts <laughs> happening not only on our planet, but in the music uh. industry. And we are psyched to be 
looking at those shifts at Music Tectonics, the conference, October 28th and 29th in Los Angeles, California in 2019. And we still have a handful of the $100 discounts uh, when you sign up for our newsletter. It's a $349 badge for an amazing conference. We'll have investors, labels, streaming services, uh, lots of great conversations happening, ranging from blockchain and AI to uh, marketing tools and how to get your startup off the ground. So if you go to musictectonics.com, sign up for the newsletter, we'll send you the discount code just for a few more days. Um, uh, $100 off for the first handful of folks, and then it goes to $50 off. Jade and I will be at Music Biz in Nashville, so if you're going to be there, yeah. um, we'll uh, continue to feed you some information about how we can connect there. We're going to meet them. We're Music Tectonics, the podcast. We'll be at the, uh, the U.S. Pavilion with our own stand where we'll be interviewing folks, yeah. which ought to be fun in Cannes in France. Um, but check out musictectonics.com. Sign up for the newsletter. Hear about more podcasts. Get the discount code to the conference. We also post news roundups. And thanks so much for listening. Trisha and Jade, thanks for doing this again. Thanks, Dimitri. Absolutely. And uh, we'll, we'll be talking to you folks soon. So spread the word and keep on listening to these seismic shifts. You're listening to Music Tectonics.